0: Needless to say, my wife and I have returned from nine days in Puerto Rico extremely excited. Um, I really didn't want to plan a trip that close to the beginning of school year, but how many of you know sometimes God interrupts our plans? And I literally got off the plane Sunday night, and the next morning I had to be at school for... Teachers in service. So, um, the Lord gave us the most marvelous time there, and everybody kept asking us, Are you going on a vacation? And I'm like, No, no, no. We're not going to Puerto Rico on a vacation. We're going there to work. And I preached four times while I was down there, and we didn't go there looking for a vacation. But I want to share something with you. When you put God first, He'll chase after you with blessings. That's what the Bible says. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that most people are chasing after, they'll chase after you. And I'm not boohooing or complaining, but my wife haven't, and I haven't had a vacation in I don't know how long. And we were determined this summer we're going to have some kind of a vacation. Well, summer came and summer left, no vacation. And my dream for a vacation is to be right on the ocean, walk out of my bedroom window, or bedroom door, excuse me, not out of my window, and I'm there on the beach, and I can hear the waves crashing at night. That's my dream of a vacation, okay? So we go to Puerto Rico, not looking for a vacation, looking for the Lord, and the church we ministered in put us up in a beach house on the Atlantic Ocean, 50 feet from where the waves crash, and we had... Am I making any of this up? We have pictures to prove it. I won't show them to you today. We had our own half-mile private beach. We never saw a human being on that beach the whole nine days we were there. Now, we didn't go down there looking for that. We went down there looking for the Lord. This was just kind of like a little added blessing on top of everything else He did for us while we were down there. God is so good. God is so good. And He wants to do things like that for us to show us how much He loves us. But really, beach house or no beach house, what God did down there in the church and in the meetings we had is beyond my ability to even explain or describe. And really, the church we were in was founded by two brothers whom I've known since they were 11 and 12 years old when I first started pastoring in Puerto Rico years ago. Now there are grown men with grown kids. And God has built up a beautiful ministry through them. And now all of their kids are grown up they all play instruments they all sing they write music they worship the Lord and we had the most amazing times of worship down there uh, throughout the whole nine days that we were with them and of course uh, the second week they had planned their 14-year anniversary Thursday through Sunday they had special meetings Pastor Tom also went down for that portion of the week and Every meeting, the Holy Spirit manifested in such a singular way. And you have to understand, all summer long, I was up here seeking the Lord in the book of Acts, praying, fasting, crying out to God for His church. And when I went down there, it was almost like the Lord said, look, I'm going to show you something. Remember in Revelation, the angel took John and said, I'm going to show you the, the bride, the lamb's wife. It was almost like the Lord said, I want to show you what I can do. And man, oh man, we were so thoroughly blessed. Not only to see how God has moved in that group, but how He moved in the meetings when we were there. And I could talk on and on and on about that, but just uh, understand that... God is moving. God is moving. And another thing that I'm going to wait for another day to talk more about, I shared a little bit about it in our Friday night prayer meeting. You know that both Pastor Tom and I have had a heart for Dominican Republic for many, many years. And I was going there in 2011 and was planning on really helping churches there in a more significant way. And then it seemed like the Lord put everything on hold. And he'll do that sometimes until he's ready and people are ready for what he wants to do. And I believe that God spoke to us very clearly in these last couple of weeks that it's time. And so my wife and I will be returning to Dominican Republic in November and there are many significant things happening. There are churches in El Salvador, Nicaragua, Costa Rica that are a part of this, and I want you to be praying that the Lord really directs us. But I can tell you, there's a wide and effectual door that God is opening for ministry. And of course, in Puerto Rico also, there are many, many doors that are also opening now. So please pray that we will move with the Holy Spirit and understand what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do in these last days. Um, I'm going to be sharing today and next week on what I believe is a very important message. It's more of a teaching than a preaching. And I'm going to see that the notes are uploaded to our website so that you can download those sometime, probably by Tuesday of this week, they should be up there. I strongly encourage you to get these notes because we're going to go through a lot of Scriptures and they may or may not appear up on the screen and you probably won't even be able to keep up with me if you're taking notes. So uh, try to get a hold of the notes. If you can't, please see me. I'll print them out and get them to you by next week. But the title of this little mini-series that I want to give is called His Church, His Way. His church, His way. And to sort of introduce where I'm going with this, we're going to be talking about God's plan for the church. And man has lots and lots of plans, lots and lots of ideas, lots of models and lots of formulas on how to build churches. Not to sound rude or arrogant, but I really don't care what man's plans or ideas are anymore. I am earnestly seeking God and asking Him for a clear vision, a clear revelation of His church. And I'm emphasizing that word, His. Not mine, not Pastor Joe's or Pastor Bill's. His church. And I want to know how to do it His way. Because unless the Lord builds the house, we can busy ourselves and work, 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 work. And what does the rest of the verse say? We labor in vain. We labor in vain unless the Lord builds His house. Many pastors and leaders that I have come to know over the years, they end up thinking that it's their church. This is mine. They even have teams of lawyers, corporate documents like this to protect their massive kingdoms, their real estate holdings, and don't you dare touch it and you'll find out real quick, this is mine! They think it's their church. And they actually end up being more like a CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation than a servant to the church that he's building. And, you know, we talk about churches and ministries being (laughs) non-profit. Sometimes I laugh about that because most of the big ministries and churches, they end up in a disguised way being a for-profit business. And the CEO is the one who stands to profit the most. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's His church, not ours. It's not for our profit or benefit. It's for His glory. And I believe in these last days, short little bit of time we have left, the Spirit and the Bride are saying, come, Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is preparing the bride of Christ. From all over the earth, people are hearing the call of the Holy Spirit to come together and to be His bride. But if we want to do this thing His way, we need to find out the right pattern. Not from books, not from TV programs, not from radio, we need to turn to the Word of God. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, we might be able to get this one up, is Isaiah 8.20. And it says, to the law and to the testimony, referring to this, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this Word, it is because there is no light in them. We need to earnestly cry out to God and study this book carefully in these last days if we're going to know how to move with God. Let me tell you once again, God is moving. God is moving. And we may miss Him if we don't understand His ways, His pattern, and what it is that He's doing. Jesus was very clear when He was here on earth. I will build Pastor Wayne's church. I will build Pastor Quacy's church. I will build Pastor Park's church. Sorry. I will build my church. How many churches does Jesus own? He owns one. How many real churches are there? one we better find out what the real one looks like where it is and you know I was telling some pastors down in Puerto Rico we need to stop trying to get everybody to join our church and start studying and fasting and praying and finding out how to join his there's a big difference I want to join his church do you? I want to know that I know that I know that I'm a part of the real one. And it's essential that we get our pattern from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God. Now, I'm going to race through this next portion very quickly, but there are a number of Scriptures here that you will want to refer to later once you get these notes. In the Old Testament... God often did things that we call types and shadows. They were real things, but they were pointing toward a greater reality in Christ. One of the most important types and shadows to study in the Old Testament is the tabernacle. Moses and the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai. Moses went alone up into the cloud of God's glory for 40 days and 40 nights. And while there on the mountain, God revealed to Moses the entire plan for this thing we call the tabernacle. It takes from Exodus 25 all the way to the end of Exodus chapter 40 all of the details about the pattern of that tabernacle. Write down the little hooks, little curtains, little uh, posts, and different pieces of furniture. All of the details God revealed to Moses. And repeatedly, God kept warning Moses, make sure you build this thing exactly according to the pattern I showed you when you were in the mountain. I'll read some of these very quickly. Exodus 25, 8 and 9. God is speaking. Then have them make a sanctuary for Me, and I will dwell among them. This was to be God's dwelling place in the midst of the whole nation of Israel in the Old Covenant. Have them make a sanctuary for Me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Listen to those words. Exactly like the pattern I will show you. Exodus 25.40 See that you make them. In, In context, it's talking about the golden lamps on the lampstand. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. By the way, in Revelation 1, Jesus appears in the midst of the seven golden lampstands which are revealed there as representing seven churches. So the lampstand is actually a shadow in the Old Testament of the church shining from the oil burning in the lamps, the oil of the Holy Spirit being a light to the world. And again, make sure it's according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So this wasn't something where Moses could come back down and say, gosh, you know, I forgot all that stuff God told me up there in the mountain. We'll just build it some old way. It ought to work okay. No. Do it exactly. Like I told you, Exodus 26.30, set up the tabernacle according to the plan shown you on the mountain. Exodus 27.8, make the altar hollow out of boards. It is to be made just as you were shown on the mountain. Now I have a question for you. How many people saw that pattern? One person. This whole thing depended on Moses to be faithful to the vision and to the revelation that God gave him. He had to work with all kinds of craftsmen and people who worked in gold, people who sewed things. He had to say, no, 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 it doesn't go like that. needs to be a little bit longer. And in many cases, God gave exact measurements, exact weights, and they couldn't deviate from that. God is a God of planning, God is a God of detail. And when He says, make sure you do it exactly like I showed you, He means it. Now remember, this is just the Old Testament shadow of the real dwelling place that is being built now called the church. Then in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of all of this. In Hebrews 8, Verses 1-5. to The point of what we are saying is this. We do have a high priest, he's referring to Jesus, the great high priest, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by man. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already men who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. Verse 5, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. So the tabernacle that Moses built in the wilderness, it was very real. It's not there anymore. But they used real boards, real gold, real silver, real curtains. It was a real structure. But we're told again here, it's just a copy of the real one. It's just a shadow of the real one. You know, if you follow a shadow and you go toward the source of light, the shadow will always lead you toward the real object. And that's what God does with shadows in the Old Testament. If we're facing the light and we're studying the shadow, it will take us to the reality. We're told here, there's a real tabernacle in heaven. It's the eternal dwelling place of God. And God is putting on the final finishing touches for what will be His eternal dwelling place. Revelation 21 is taking place in eternity. John saw a tabernacle. He saw a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. And he saw the tabernacle of God. And he heard, God Himself will now dwell with men. And the rest of the chapter talks about the Bride of Christ, the New Jerusalem. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing in these last days. And we need to be very careful to get the pattern right. To seek God, and I believe our Moses now, who has the whole revelation, is the Holy Spirit. It's no man. No man has the whole picture. We need the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who is revealing these things to us so that we can build exactly according to the right pattern. Now, as I mentioned, in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. A couple of interesting observations, which you've probably heard me make before, but I'll repeat them. The word church, ekklesia, is the word in Greek. It almost sounds like Spanish, iglesia. It only appears twice in all four Gospels. And the other one is also in Matthew 18, in uh, the scripture where he talks about if you have an offense with someone, go and finally tell it to the whole church. I find it amazing that nowhere in the four Gospels do you find Jesus sitting down and giving a long teaching or a seminar on how to build a church, what a church looks like, how to structure a church, or anything of that nature. He doesn't talk about church. Except for one time, really, I will build it. Then He goes to the cross and He says before He goes to the cross, I'm going to send the Counselor. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And He's going to pick up where I leave off. It's almost like to be continued. But it doesn't even tell us what a church is. And then, amazingly, after He rises from the dead, we read in Acts chapter 1, and I hope you're joining us on Wednesdays for our study in the book of Acts, because this is going to dovetail with a lot of the things we're sharing on Wednesdays. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus rose from the dead. Now if I'm Jesus, I'm out of here. I want to go back to the Father. I want to get back to the right hand and be in glory where I came from. But He stays 40 more days with His apostles, teaching them, not on church growth, Not on church government. He doesn't even talk about church. It says for 40 days he taught them about the kingdom of God. So, we come to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit finally arrives, we still haven't heard anything about what is a church. Now, if you were there that day when Jesus was talking to Peter, Peter was a good one for asking lots of questions. I'm surprised he didn't ask, wait, 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 Lord, what is a church? What is a church? He said he's going to build one, but nobody knew what one was. No one had ever seen one before. No one knew exactly what it was going to look like or what it was going to do. They just had to wait. I will build my church. That's all he said. In Acts 20, verse 28. I want to emphasize this. Um, this is His church. And I'm going to show you why it's His. And not mine, and not Pastor Joe Schmo or anybody else's. It's His church. I want to show you why it's His. Acts 20, verse 28. This is when Paul gathers all of the elders from the Ephesian churches. He's bidding them farewell. He tells them, you're never going to see me again. And he gives them some final words of advice and even some warnings. He says, keep watch. Note the order here. Keep watch first over what? Yourselves. The tendency, especially for people in leadership, is to neglect their own spiritual life And be so busy, they're preaching, teaching, looking after everybody else's problems, they neglect themselves. He gets the order the other way. Keep watch over yourselves. Be careful what's going on in your life. And then, watch over all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. We're going to return to this scripture later on in this little series, because it's, it's Pregnant with lots and lots of meaning. He's actually addressing all of the elders who are also referred to here as overseers. And he actually calls them shepherds. He gives them three different titles here which are used interchangeably. Elders, overseers, and shepherds. Or we don't usually use shepherds so much. It's a pastor. The Spanish only has one word. pastor. Whether you're taking care of a church or out with sheep, you're a pastor. You're a pastor. So, he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of whose church? Whose church? The church of God or God's church. Why is it His church? Which He bought. With his own blood. You see, there's ownership here. The reason this is his church, he bought it. He paid the price for it. You and I didn't. So, pastors and leaders who are tempted to start grabbing on to stuff and say, This is mine. Look what I've built up for me and my family. I've got a multi-million dollar corporation and I'm the CEO of this thing. And it's going to feed me and my children and my grandchildren. But really, I thought it said it was His. And I thought it says He has rights to it because He bought it. We need to keep reminding ourselves of this. None of us shed blood for sin. Jesus did. None of us can redeem anyone. Jesus can. He redeemed us and we become His. You remember when... Jesus was having His final little exchange with Peter in John 21. And He says, Peter, do you love Me? Yeah, you know I love you, Lord. Okay, good. Feed My lambs. Peter, do you love Me? Lord, you already asked Me that once. Yes, I love you. Feed My sheep. Third time, Peter, do you love Me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you, alright? Go feed My sheep. It's interesting, Jesus used two different words there, but in verse 16, the middle one, He uses the same word that's used here to shepherd the church. What He's saying is, Peter, be a shepherd to My people if you really love Me. They're Mine. He didn't say, Peter, feed your sheep. Feed My sheep. Feed My lambs. Now, coming back to Acts 1, Here's Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Forty days He spends with His apostles convincing them that He's risen from the dead. Isn't God good? I've thought about that a lot lately, and I've looked back over my 42 years. Many times my faith has been very weak, sometimes non-existent. And yet God will come and meet me where I'm at. Because He wants our faith to grow. He wants our faith to increase. He doesn't just throw us away, discard us, and say, oh, you don't have any faith. He'll meet us where we're at and convince us that He's alive. Convince us that His Word is true. He'll keep working with us until He gets us on our feet moving in faith. And so it it apparently took Him 40 days to do that even with His apostles. It says, with many convincing proofs. He showed Himself alive to those apostles. And, as I mentioned, He gave them a 40-day seminar on the Kingdom of God. Hmm. I wonder how how many of us could talk 40 days about the Kingdom of God. Jesus can. You know why? Because He's the King. (laughs) We should learn some more about the Kingdom. But then... He says this in Acts 1, verses 4 and onwards. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. What's a command? It's a suggestion, right? It's an option. We can pick and choose whether we like it or not. Is that what a command is? A command is, you do it! What is His command? Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My Father promised, which you have heard Me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesdays, you know the writer of Acts is Luke, the same writer of the Gospel that bears his name. And Luke 24 overlaps Acts 1 because it's like a continuation of where Luke left off In his first volume. And if you study Luke 24, it shows the resurrection of Jesus and right up to his ascension in heaven. A few verses after this, Jesus ascends up to heaven right before the apostles' eyes. But I want us to go to Luke 24 to see how this is written there because I think it's even clearer. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. While we're getting that up on the screen, I want you to think about this. You have spent the last three and a half years of your life, day and night, with Jesus. Wherever He went, you went. You heard all of His sermons, all of His parables. You were there when the lame were made to walk, blind eyes were opened, dead people were raised. You saw all of that. You were even on occasion sent out in His name with authority to preach, to cast out devils, and to lay hands on the sick yourself. So they've had three and a half years of that kind of training, and the whole while He's been teaching them about the Kingdom of God. And finally, just before He ascends, He says, Now. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world and preach this good news. But instead, he tells them, wait. Don't do anything yet. You think you know a lot of stuff up here? You've seen a lot of things with your eyes? You've heard a lot? But don't do anything yet. Just wait. Luke 24, verse 49 Jesus is speaking to His apostles. He says, I am going to send you what My Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I've been meditating on that a lot. And here's what I've come up with. You and I we may think we know some things now. We've heard a few Bible studies, we've read a few books. Maybe we even we even have some ideas of what the church is supposed to look like. But Jesus even told Peter, James and John, stay. I looked up that word. I got so blessed yesterday. I started doing cartwheels. It literally means sit down. Sit down. They were like chomping at the bit. Okay. Can we go win the world now, Jesus? Can we go start this thing called the church? No. Sit down. You're not ready yet. You're not prepared yet. Yeah, but we got all kinds of knowledge. We've heard all kinds of parables and sermons. You're not ready yet because you're lacking something. What were they lacking? What were they lacking? They were lacking power. And I want you to listen carefully to what he told them. Sit down. Until he didn't say how long to sit down. He said you're going to keep sitting down until something happens. Until what? Until you have been clothed, King James. Can we switch it for just a second? I like the King James better. Ah, endued with power. You know what that word really means? Have you ever dyed clothing? Or have you ever gotten ink into a nice blouse or a nice shirt and try to get it out if it's permanent? It gets endued into the cloth. It It soaks it up. It actually draws it in and it becomes a part of it. What Jesus is saying is don't even try to do anything until you are soaked with the power of God. Now, He didn't say wait until you feel a little goose bump or a little drop on your forehead or maybe you utter a few syllables of tongues. Uh, we'll talk about tongues later on. That's not what he says. He says wait for power. How many of you know when power is around you and in you? Now, don't go home and try this, young people, but how many of you have ever gotten a shock by touching an electric outlet or a bare wire? Few of you know what power feels like. Did anyone need to tell you that you just had 120 volts go through your hand? No. You felt the power. And I'm tired of people being told, oh, you've already got it, when they know they don't. They haven't experienced the power of God yet. This power is real. It's called dunamis, dynamite. Now, let me ask you a question. Shouting. Shouting, wake up if a piece of dynamite goes off in your pocket is your wife going to need to tell you child I think the piece of dynamite is exploded. does anyone need to tell you that why you felt it right power let me tell you something when the Holy Spirit comes upon you nobody's going to need to tell you you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And that's exactly what we just read in Acts eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, I'm not minimizing the gift that comes along with it of speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about that right now. He didn't say, wait for tongues. He said, wait until you're full of power. Wait until... The power actually soaks into you. You are endued with power. Let me tell you why. This thing we call the church, it's supernatural. You can't do it with head knowledge, book learning. You can't do it with methods and formulas. And oh, I just heard a new way to make our church double in size in six months. That's all a bunch of foolishness. We need to get on our faces like they did and wait for real power to come. Because the church of Jesus Christ can only be built through the power of the Holy Spirit. No other way. No other way. No man will take credit for it because it will be His work. I will build my church. And now the Holy Spirit has taken over the task that Jesus began while He was here on earth, now the Holy Spirit is coming to give us that power. Anybody involved in any Christian ministry must have the power of God operating in their life or they're going to fall way short of what God wants to do. Wait, sit down, stay right there until you have been clothed With power. You know, in our arrogance, I think sometimes we still think, oh, well with my clever idea, I think it'll work. And I don't really need to depend on God. I can use my charisma or my personality or I'm smarter than most people and I'll be able to pull this thing off. You know what we're going to end up with? And I don't have time to explain all this, hopefully you know your Bibles. We'll end up with a Tower of Babel or an Ichabod. It'll be something that comes far short of a real church. And I got a new name that the Holy Spirit gave me over the summer. I'm going to refer to it as the Judges Twenty one twenty five church. Would you like to know what that is? Sister D, can we put up Judges twenty one twenty five? It's the last verse in the book of Judges. I don't know about you, but I don't want to belong to this church. The Judges twenty-one twenty-five church. It's very popular now. Many, many modern churches are following this pattern. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Well, I think I'm going to do it this way. It seems best to me. No, i got another idea. I'm going to do it my way. That's why I titled this series, His Church, His Way. They had no king. What was Jesus talking about for 40 days and nights? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has come now. The king is going to tell us how to build a church. We're going to do it His way. Wait until the power of God fills you. I want to urge you, I can't I can't be any stronger than this, I want to urge everyone in this room, everyone who might be listening to this message, seek God until, until, until you are endued with power. You know you've been filled with the power of God and you're ready for whatever the Lord wants to use you for. Let me give you a couple of other scriptures here. In 1 Corinthians 2, starting with verse 9, Paul says something very profound, and I hope you can catch this. I'm going to go through it slowly because I want to make sure everybody hears this. 1 Corinthians 2, we're going to read from verse 9 down to verse 14. As it is written, No eye has seen... No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. This is for a select group of people. This is only for people who love God. If you love God, man, has He got stuff in store for you. Your eyes never seen it. Your ears never heard about it. Your wildest imaginations can't even dream about it. Now, if that's where it ended, we're like, well, how am I ever going to know? But, verse 10 begins with but, but God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Did you hear that? No one. What's no one mean? No one. You mean no one? No one. You mean nothing? No one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world. There is a spirit of the world. We're not interested in that one. But the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Now, pay close attention to verse 13. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom. didn't go to college to learn this. Didn't sit down at some great teacher's feet and learn this. What we speak is not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. That's mind-blowing. Taught by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't just come to give us power. The Holy Spirit comes to teach us. And there are things that cannot be taught you by me or by anybody else. They have to be taught through the Holy Spirit. Let me read this again. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. Now here's why I'm emphasizing anyone hearing my voice needs to seek God until you're filled with the Holy Spirit and power. Verse 14, the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The things we're going to be talking about this week and next week, I understand very, very clearly. You can't grasp them with the natural mind. These are spiritual things that we're trying to communicate, and the Holy Spirit has to teach them to us. The Holy Spirit has to reveal these things to us. And that's why in Ephesians, probably one of the deepest and most profound of all of Paul's letters he starts off in chapter 1 praying for them. Ephesians 1, you've heard this prayer many, many times here because we pray it often. Ephesians 1, 17-19, I keep asking... Notice that. This was something Paul was praying day after day after day for the churches. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Now, wait, time out. Can't Paul teach them everything they need to know? No, he can't. Can't I teach you everything you're supposed to know? No, I can't. There are things you can only learn from the Holy Spirit by revelation, not by book learning. Give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart... Did you know your heart has eyes? (laughs) Don't tell that to my biology students. They'll get all confused. But the heart has eyes. Pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and last but not least, that you may have your eyes open to know His incomparably great power for us who believe. The power that is like the working of His mighty strength. And then in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 20, he says, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that is at work within us. Let me draw your attention to those words. Power at work in us. Now, I'm not trying to condemn anybody or make anybody feel bad, but if I'm stirring you up, so be it. But you need to ask yourself a couple of serious questions. Is the power of God working in my life? Or is it just something up here in the head? Is the power of God really working in me? Because Paul puts that condition. It's according to the power that's at work within us. If God's power is working mightily in you, he says when you pray, God can do exceedingly beyond anything you've asked or imagined. Let me put it another way. In John 7, verse 37. Let's go there. John 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast. If you study this, it was actually one of the big feasts of the Jewish people, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a seven or an eight day feast, depending on who you read. But they had had at least a week of festivities, celebrations, they would eat, they would have a good time, they would rejoice in the Lord. And by no coincidence, Jesus waits until the last day. And he says the strangest thing, And how many of you know every word of God is inspired? Every word. And sometimes one little word will jump out at you that you never paid attention to before. One of the ones here that jumped out at me this week is loud voice. Jesus very rarely raised His voice. He didn't shout at people. But here He did. He must have really had an important message he was conveying to these people. On the last and greatest day of the feast, and to further emphasize that, the teachers in those days, they would usually teach sitting down. He's not teaching here. He stood up. And in a loud voice, is anyone thirsty? Now, why is that strange? What have they been doing for seven days? Feasting. If anyone is still thirsty for something more than all this, is there something inside of you that's not satisfied with food and drink and video games? Oops and money, and possessions, and cars, and power, and on and on and on, I can go in the list. Is there something inside you that's still not satisfied? If your answer is no, I can't help you, I don't think Jesus can either. And I'm tired of trying to help people who basically say, oh no, I'm, I'm good. I like my car, I like my money, I like my stuff, I like my drugs, I like what I'm doing. Have a nice day. Maybe we'll meet again in a year or two and you'll have a different song. But right now I can't help you. But if anyone, what's anyone mean? Could there be an anyone here today who's still thirsty? If anyone is thirsty, thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. Now if that's where it ended, at this point in time, they would have been clueless what he's talking about. Water? Coming out of my belly? What? Thirsty for what? But verse 39 explains it. He's not talking about real water. He's talking about spiritual things. By this, He meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I like the King James better. Rivers of living water will flow from your belly from inside of you. Now, if you had a river flowing out of your belly button, do you think you would know about it? <laughs> or would somebody have to come and tell you, oh, by the way, brother, you got a, you got a river coming out of you. I don't think anybody would need to tell you, would they? My personal experience 42 years ago As a long-haired hippie who didn't know any theology at all, all I knew was Jesus saved me from death. He saved me from my sins. And I ended up in a charismatic Pentecostal church where the people believed in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the pastor gave an altar call that night for anybody who wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, yeah, man, if there's more of this, I want it! And I ran forward, they laid hands on me, and next thing I know, rivers are coming out of my belly. Nobody told me, oh, you know, now, you're supposed to do this and do that. No, nobody said anything. They just prayed for me, and a river started coming out of me. It's been flowing for 42 years. Rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. A lot of people get this mixed up, and they say, well, I'm still waiting for the tongues. Okay, we'll talk about tongues later, but none of these scriptures are talking about waiting for tongues. They're talking about waiting for power, waiting for living water that satisfies your thirst. Again, if you're not thirsty, if you're not interested, I doubt that any of this is going to help you. But if something down inside says, man, I'm just not satisfied with my life. I'm not satisfied with where I am in my ministry. I'm not really satisfied with where I'm at in my walk with God. Maybe you need to take a second look and ask, what have I received? Because Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to receive power. Dynamite power. Let me put it another way. And again, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. But if I'm stirring you up, praise God. Do you have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit working in your life? Do you have gifts of the Holy Spirit that are manifesting in your life? The Bible says everyone who receives the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit manifests at least one gift. It's given to everyone the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. If you have no power, no anointing, and no gifts, maybe you haven't received what Jesus and the others here are talking about. That's good. I want to stir you up. Get thirsty. Get thirsty. Start praying. Start fasting. Start crying out to God. Now. Your fasting is not going to earn you the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. You can receive it right now. It's a free gift. But if you need to, get thirsty. Get stirred up. Start searching the Scriptures. Start praying. Get with some other brothers and sisters and pray. Find somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit and pray. And in the next few weeks, we're going to keep emphasizing this until on the 25th when Pastor Tom is here. If anybody wants prayer to receive the Holy Spirit, we're going to do it then. I want everybody here filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, moving in the anointing, and manifesting gifts of the Holy Spirit. No one should be left out. The promise is for all of you and even your children. Start claiming this for your kids too. The very first promise in Joel's prophecy on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up and said, this is what Joel prophesied. He will pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. And what's next? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's the very first thing that will result from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I bind the devil who keeps telling us our kids are never going to serve the Lord. I bind the devil who says, oh, our kids are just going to you know, roam the streets and get into drugs and get into trouble. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Our kids are going to serve the Lord. Our kids are coming under an anointing. They're going to preach the Gospel. They're going to cast out devils. They're going to lay hands on the sick in their school. They're going to start Bible studies. They are going to be bold for the Lord because Joel promised it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. We all need to get thirsty. And I'm going to take just a few more minutes to introduce where we're going next week. Are you ready? If you've been with us on Wednesday nights, I'm starting to touch on this there also, but I'm going to summarize this for you. What does a real church look like? Well... You read the four Gospels, you have no idea what a church looks like. You read Acts 1, you have no idea what a church looks like. Ah, but in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, the promise of the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. They were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. Tongues of fire came upon them. They all began to speak in other languages. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. St. Peter, who denied Jesus a few weeks earlier, he's now up there boldly preaching the Word of God. 3,000 people get saved in one single day. And at the end of Acts 2, I think it's verse 47, for the very first time, the word church appears. Ah. It says, daily. More people were being added to the church. So somewhere between Acts 1 and Acts 2, the church was born. It's generally accepted that it was on the day of Pentecost with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the church was born. That's extremely important. No Holy Spirit, no church. It's that simple. No Holy Spirit, no church. Where did the church come from? From the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Who has the plan for the church? The Holy Spirit. He's the only one that can reveal it to us. He's the only one that can cause this thing to grow and be in the divine plan and pattern that God has prescribed. I'm going to run through a real quick list here and we'll probably go over this again next time. But let me read this to you. What does a real church look like? And this is just skimming from the opening chapters of the book of Acts. It's nothing real deep, but I just listed a few of the marks of a true church. And then I want to give you a few things that have become sacred in church circles that are nowhere to be found in the book of Acts. Okay, here are some marks of a true church. One, they had anointed preaching. Jesus Christ was the lead story. Jesus was the headline. They were focused on Christ. They preached Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and Christ exalted. That was their message. They preached Christ. And Peter, you can read his sermons in Acts 2 and Acts 3. Man, this guy became bold as a lion. No more denying Jesus. He looked kings and high priests and religious rulers right in the face and he said, You murdered the Prince of Life, but my God raised him from the dead. Peter, don't talk like that. You're going to get in trouble. They did get in trouble. Some of them went to jail. Some of them died. But they were bold. Secondly, in Already in Acts 2, you can see this one. Sinners and unbelievers were cut to the heart because they were coming under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit has come now. What did Jesus say? He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sinners get very uncomfortable around the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They start to realize, oops, God knows about my sins. They start to feel guilty. They start to feel unclean. And then they ask, what are we supposed to do? And the message is clear. Repent and receive forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Third mark. New converts were being regularly saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and added to the church. It was growing. It was alive. Let me tell you something. Down in Puerto Rico... The last meeting that Shereen and I were there for was their Sunday morning service. We had to leave for the airport, and then Pastor Tom stayed for the Sunday night meeting. That meeting was apparently even more uh, wild than ours. But in our meeting, I don't know how to express it, but at the end of the service, the Holy Spirit just took over. I mean took over. The musicians, the music, the songs, everything. It was just being directed by the Holy Spirit. We were just there watching what the Holy Spirit was doing. And power, power, power just came raining down, raining down. And I'm just standing up there and I'm like, Whoa, this feels good. I don't know what to do, but I'm just enjoying this. And suddenly the pastor's wife brings this young lady up onto the stage. She was trembling, shaking, tears rolling down her face. Am I making this up? No. I didn't know what was going on. So they bring her over to the center of the stage. She and the pastor there led her in a prayer of repentance, and she received Christ right on the stage. And I just went over to her and touched her on the forehead with my hand like that. She immediately fell on the ground. Demons started coming out of her, and God baptized her with the Holy Spirit. This is in front of the whole crowd. And I'm like, Glory to God! That's what we've been praying for, Lord. When sinners and unbelievers come into a church meeting, they should feel the presence of God there. They should be convicted, cut to the heart. And we found out later that this young woman had actually come the night before But you know how sometimes the devil keeps fighting with you to keep you away from church? She got as far as the church parking lot and couldn't get out of her car. She sat there wanting to go into the meeting, but something kept holding her, tears running down her face. Finally, she turned around and went home. But Sunday morning, she made up her mind, I'm going back to church. And she got saved, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and got delivered, all in a few seconds. That's the power of God. We need to see more of that. New converts being regularly, and I would add, powerfully saved, baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and added to the church. Fourth mark of a true church, they had unity. There was harmony amongst all the believers. They were all regularly meeting together in fellowship, eating and worshiping together. Everybody sharing with each other. There was genuine love caring for one another. A fifth mark that we see already in Acts 2, they were devoted to prayer. Continual, steadfast prayer amongst all these new believers. Number six, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were teaching these people things as the Holy Spirit was revealing it to them, they were devoted to to apostolic teaching. Number seven, there was the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Many miracles, signs, and wonders were already being manifested right there in Acts chapter 2. And later on, Paul would exhort all of us that our church should come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of the Lord. Lacking in no gift. They had miracles, signs, and wonders. The Holy Spirit was very evident. And finally, but not least, the mark of a true church, you can already see it in Acts 2, and we'll trace this further in the book of Acts next week. The Holy Spirit was in charge. Some people, they still come and ask me, "Uh, Pastor, who's in charge of the church? Who's in charge of the church? Oh, well, you know, if you go on our website, you'll see, you know, here's the president, vice president, the deacons, the elders, da, 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 da. No, no, no. Who's in charge of the church? If it isn't the Holy Spirit, we're in big trouble. We're in serious trouble. Holy Spirit was in charge of this church. And whenever they had problems, controversies, they came together and they sought the Holy Spirit for His counsel and for His guidance. They did whatever seemed right to the Holy Spirit. Now, let me finish. This will only take one minute. How is the modern church that many of us are familiar with, how is it unlike this Acts model? Now, I don't want to offend anybody, but this might be offensive. Because some of these things are so ingrained in us, we think they're sacred, and yet I challenge you to find them in the Word of God. Are you ready? you going to stone me? Okay, number one, how is the modern church unlike the Acts model? The modern church, typically, there's a big emphasis on buildings, building programs. Storing up money, buying land, and building big temples. There is no mention in the entire book of Acts of any substance. Matter of fact, they weren't buying real estate, they were selling it. <laughs> they were selling their lands, selling their houses, and bringing all the money and putting it at the feet of the apostles and say, do whatever you want with the money. We're not interested in that stuff anymore. Now, I'm not condemning anybody. They built a nice building here. Praise God, it's blessing us. But I've seen many a pastor and many a ministry go astray. Listen to me carefully. I've seen many go astray, getting ensnared with these big multi-million dollar mortgages and multi-million dollar building programs. In the book of Acts... There's no talk of that. They just met under a bridge. They met in houses. They met wherever they could find some place to get together. How is the modern church unlike the Acts model? Number two, what we find normally now are separate, autonomous churches run by one pastor in charge who often ends up lording over the flock in a controlling or even an abusive manner. Listen to me carefully, and we're going to talk more about this next time. Every single church mentioned in the book of Acts and in the rest of the New Testament was always cared for by a body of elders, not one man. It's always elders, plural. That would have saved us from a whole lot of hurt and heartache. And let me tell you, I don't talk about a lot of this stuff here, but I hear so many horror stories of people who have been hurt and abused in these kinds of churches where you've got a dictator, it's my way or the highway, and controlling everybody, and everybody's scared to death of the pastor. If we had a body of elders, there's no possibility of one man running the show. There's a plurality of leadership. And thirdly, how is the modern church unlike the Acts church? What we find today is a very heavy reliance on things like education, clever schemes, inviting celebrities, using entertainment, and the latest business models to build the church. Meanwhile, less and less emphasis on fasting and prayer, crying out to God for the Holy Spirit to move. The last ministry that my wife and I were a part of, we finally had to separate ourselves for a number of reasons. But one thing I noticed as I traveled around from church to church, I saw no prayer. Nobody wanted to pray. No prayer. Pastors, no prayer. I used to ask. They would have... Their conventions and their annual meetings, and I—I I grew up in a ministry where, man, we pounded on the floor for hours, pray, 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 fasting, 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 and now no prayer. Oh, but they got money now. You don't need prayer when you got money. You know, Peter and John were able to say to the crippled man, "Silver and gold have I none, but get up in the name of Jesus." Now the modern church says, "Well." We got lots of silver and gold. We're not like Peter anymore. One pastor told me to my face, oh, we have a multi-million dollar corporation now. Our pastors need to dress accordingly. Okay, have a nice day. I forgot my three-piece suit today. Sorry about that. I guess we're not multi-million I'd rather be able to say, what I do have, I do you. Get gather in the name of Jesus Christ and walk. So, we're going to be discussing more about this next time. Our minds need to be renewed. Like I said at the beginning, man has his ideas about the church, what it's supposed to look like, how it's supposed to grow, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Quite frankly, all I'm interested in now is His church, His way. And I'm hoping that you will join with me in these coming days to seek God. If you can, set aside some time for fasting as well. And again, if you're not sure whether you have received the fullness of God's power with rivers of living water coming out of your innermost being, seek God. Look at the Scriptures about the Holy Spirit. And please understand one thing. It's a free gift. You're never going to be good enough to earn it. You're never going to be good enough to deserve it. That's why He gave it to you. Just reach out and receive all that God has for you. The way I received the Holy Spirit, some of you have heard the testimony. When I was that long-haired hippie sitting at the back of this Pentecostal service, and the pastor said, All right, now! Who wants to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Man, I thought the whole church was going to run forward. I came running up. And then when I looked around me, I realized, uh-oh, I'm the only one up here. Didn't matter to me. And I don't have my keys with me. Where are my keys? The pastor, by the way, if you read my book, I was able to locate. He's still living. He's out in san jose california he's over 80 now still going strong for the lord pastor canis i came up there i don't know what he thought about me i was still a long-haired hippie smelling like marijuana in my blue jeans and he said son you want to receive the holy spirit i said yeah and he handed me his keys and i took them and he said it's that simple God's already given you the gift, just receive it. He laid hands on me, and just like that, I received the Holy Spirit. That's how easy it is. We make all these things so complicated. It's a free gift. It's the promise of the Father. Listen to those words. Promise of the Father. God has promised you power. God has promised you living water. Whenever you get thirsty, you don't have to run here or run there for a drink. The drink's in you. Let's all stand. His church, His way. Father God, I thank You that You're building Your church. You're going to build it with us or without us, but You're going to build it. It will be a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle. It will be full of power. A church that impacts the world and the generation around it. From the young right on up to the old. They will all be full of power. (coughs) Prophesying, laying hands on the sick, boldly proclaiming the name of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of God and announcing His soon return. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us and even those who might be listening to this message later on. Stir our hearts. Stir us up to seek more of Your power. More of Your anointing in our lives. God, we are praying that we can join Your church. We can be a part of this great building that You are raising up. My church. My sheep. Purchased with my own blood. Father, I pray Your blessing over each and every one. Help us to earnestly seek Your face in these days to come. That You may speak to us. Because Lord, Your Your Word says, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. God, we, we want to hear what Your Spirit is saying to this church right now what Your Spirit is speaking to us. And so, Father, I pray for an opening of the eyes of the heart. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know Jesus better and we might receive a fresh revelation of the church that You are raising up. And, Lord, that each and every one would walk and move in that exceeding great power that came on the day of Pentecost and is available for each and every one of us. Bless us now and make us a blessing as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, Amen. 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 God bless you.